Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Chris Chimes is made possible with the support of Hotel Connections, the global leader in crew logistics and accommodations. Hotelconnections.com. Clear, a leader in touchless travel. Learn more at clearme.com slash airlines. And Seabury Capital Group, global reach, global scale. Seaburycapital.com. We also welcome your business's support. Info at airlinesconfidential.com. Welcome to Airlines Confidential. We're glad you're here. I'm Ben Baldanza, and along with Chris Chimes, we're buckled up and ready to go on another show. Chris, take the controls and let's get this baby going. Hey, Ben, and hello to our listeners from a very cold and icy Dallas, Texas. Uh, this is likely to be a tough operating week, not just here in the DFW area, but a number of other airports. So if you're traveling this week for work or pleasure or business, please stay safe and give yourself lots of extra time and patience. On the news front, let's get to several things we want to talk about. First, we are dedicated on this program to things that fly, both planes and people. But once in a while, we talk about things that don't fly, like trial balloons. In this case, in late January, the CDC floated the idea of requiring COVID tests of all domestic airline passengers. We talked about this last week and noted that the idea was flawed. And it's fair to say that this was met with skepticism and downright opposition by pretty much everyone with the exception of maybe the manufacturers of the testing kits, and even then I can't say for certain that they supported the idea. In any case, after almost two weeks of public discussion, airline officials took the conversations directly to the White House late last week, and on Friday, February 12th, President Biden confirmed that the idea had been scrapped. So hopefully that's behind us. Also last week, Dr. Anthony Fauci predicted that by April it would be what he called, quote, open season, for COVID vaccinations, meaning by April, anyone who wants one should be able to get one or soon thereafter. And the White House also announced a deal for 200 million more vaccine doses. Ben, we talk a lot about COVID every week because unfortunately that's the biggest impact on the industry right now. But how are you feeling this week as compared to perhaps the last month? Well, Chris, we do talk about COVID every week and I'm sure our listeners are tired of that too. But I think some of the news you just read is actually good news in the COVID world of things, actually. And in that sense, I feel somewhat encouraged this week compared to last month. You know, the fact that the required testing for domestic flights has been scrapped is a real positive thing. My guess, Chris, is probably the winning argument for that was the fact that If you look at the number of travelers who are flying now just under a million a day, but easy to see that number doubling to maybe two million by the summer, which is still a much lower summer than anyone in the industry would want to expect, but it's easy to see the industry could get to two million a day in the summer. And we're only producing or giving about that many tests every day. So it would effectively double the number of tests. And my guess is that's the argument that probably won over us. Look, it's just not practical to do this. Plus, we're going to be testing people who are already vaccinated. And, you know, and the industry's so against this. And the last thing we want is, you know, this craziness. And the other thing you didn't mention, Chris, is that there's another 
potentially $14 billion in stimulus that might go to the airlines in a proposed thing. And it just seemed a little crazy that the government would say, we're going to spend taxpayer money to keep all these employees employed. And then we're going to pass a policy that would make airlines furlough a bunch of employees, right? Right. <laughs> sort of right hand, not knowing what the left hand's doing. But uh, overall, it's really, really positive. And as far as Anthony Fauci's prediction that April would be open season, I really hope he's right. And that's fantastic. I don't have a vaccine yet, nor should I, right? I'm 59 and I'm in good health and there's plenty of people in front of me in line. So I'm not trying to cut anybody in line. But I, my expectation was I wouldn't be seeing my vaccine probably until April at least. And so in April, if it's really everybody can get one, I think that would be fantastic. And that would be really positive for the airline summer. The fact that if it's likely that anyone who wants to be vaccinated really can be vaccinated starting that soon in April, then maybe the industry can have a really robust summer and nothing would be better for this industry than that, Chris. Yeah, I agree, Ben. I did a a chat uh, on Friday with Carnival Cruise Line fans, where our our listeners know uh, I currently work, and the spread of the vaccine and the distribution of the vaccine is going to be critical for our sector as well. And as as I kind of observed, it's almost March. I can smell April, and so this is this is really good news for the travel sector and for the economy in general. So let's hope that that distribution plan. Uh, proceeds as as predicted, because that's going to be really important. I think the other news of note for the industry this past week was more news about new routes as carriers try to align supply with demand. Southwest launched their new service from Chicago here last week, but then a number of major carriers announced new routes, almost all of them with a common theme of warm weather. And then the OAG reported a new busiest air route in terms of capacity, we're used to seeing London Heathrow to Dubai, Delhi, Dubai, New York, London Heathrow. But for February, it will be Orlando, San Juan, Puerto Rico. Ben, surely your airline geek genes have something to say about this. <laughs> well, they sure do, Chris. You know, as I look through this list of the top 10, first of all, it's OAG data, or the official airline guides. Long ago, they used to print... Uh, printed timetables for airlines. I'm sure you remember that. <laughs> now they're a data company, of course. But they publish schedule data, not traffic data, right? So these are where airlines are putting seats out. Now you'd hope where airlines are putting seats out correlates somewhat to where people want to go. Um, but since COVID and in this COVID time, the OAG data don't always necessarily match because airlines are experimenting with lots of things, right? Airlines are learning just like cruise lines are, I'm sure, almost real time where the demand is building, where the demand is shrinking and sort of the rules of a normal sort of travel pattern are thrown out the window right now. So you see airlines over flying hubs, flying all kinds of new nonstops that haven't been flown, trying all kinds of things. So with that as a background, the other thing I think when I see this is there are no domestic U.S. segments here, right? There's an Orlando, a JFK, and a Dallas, but they're all international routes to San Juan, Santiago, and the Dominican Republic, and Cancun. So all warm weather destinations, of course. 
And that also sort of says to me sort of who's really traveling right now. Now, Orlando San Juan or JFK Santiago, which is number six on the list, or Dallas Cancun, which is number 10 on the list. You know, of course, there's some business travel there. Every route has some level of business travel. But what really dominates those routes are visiting friends and relatives and some vacations. Those are three big routes in that area. Obviously, Orlando has people from San Juan who want to come to Orlando, but also a lot of Puerto Ricans live in Florida and they can go home and or go and see family. And Orlando's a great gateway for that. So it says to me, there's not a lot of business people traveling. It says airlines are searching for places people are going, which like you said, is mostly sun and mostly family oriented. And the question is, as vaccines roll out more and as businesses decide whether or not to send their people out traveling or not, and as individual families decide we're going to take a vacation where we fly, because those two things haven't really happened in any big way yet since COVID, when those things happen, then we're going to see these top routes all flip around again. Yeah, specifically when I looked at that San Juan uh, Orlando route, I, I was just struck by the fact that the busiest air route in February was one flown mostly by a Spirit and Frontier. I think JetBlue had a nonstop or two as well. But the list clearly looked like kind of a spin art kind of result with regard to historically what we're used to and historically what has been the pattern for, as you said, mostly a mostly a business travel statistic. Yeah, you know, I'm sure if you look in the U.S. right now, the low-cost carriers probably have a much bigger share of the market of people who are actually traveling than they had before COVID, and maybe will have when we're done with COVID, too. But low fares win when you're uncertain about anything, and if you're not certain you're going to travel, but the fare looks great and it's a destination that you have reason to be there because you have family there maybe or something can be good for you there, then that really works. So it's not completely surprising that Orlando San Juan, like you said, with three low-cost carriers dominating the market there is the big winner. We want to thank Clear. Travel with confidence with Clear. Touchless, fast, safer airport travel. Clear's touchless identity verification is available in 34 airports across the U.S., moving you quickly and without crowds through airport security. Enroll today at www.clearme.com airlines. One final item on the news front, Chris. I'm sure you saw this piece that caught my eye as well. KLM announced last week that they had operated a flight in January from Amsterdam to Madrid that they say was the first commercial flight to use synthetic kerosene mixed with traditional jet fuel. Ben, I did see that. And in combination with British Airways announcing last week that they were going to start operating some flights with sustainable fuel in 2022, these moments really shouldn't be overlooked And then I don't know if people saw the news about United Airlines agreeing to invest up to $1 billion in a company called Archer Aviation. Archer is developing a prototype electric aircraft that would essentially provide an air taxi service to major United hubs. I hope I get that explanation right as I was reading the story. That's how I read it. The example United CEO Scott Kirby gave was getting passengers from the Hollywood area of Southern California to LAX via aircraft 
capable of flying 60 miles at about 150 miles per hour on a single charge. I, I can't speak to the viability of this, but it's certainly uh, securing some impressive investment. You know, I think my sense is the more the industry can do to get out in front of this, the better they'll be able to control their own destiny with regard to emissions, carbon intensity, and the worldwide efforts to address climate change. It is happening, and it's good to see the industry uh, taking it head on. Well, we'll be right back with more Airlines Confidential. Seabury Capital is a specialty finance and investment banking firm boasting a 25-year track record of advising key clients in aviation, aerospace and defense, maritime, and financial services and technologies. Their award-winning and widely respected team has superior industry knowledge along with state-of-the-art analysis, technology, and solutions, as well as an unmatched depth of relationships with decision-makers in industry, finance, and government. Explore their global reach and scale at seaburycapital.com. That's seaburycapital, S-E-A-B-U-R-Y, capital.com. The Airlines Confidential Podcast is now available on Apple, Google, iHeart, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Pandora, Spotify, TuneIn, and many more. Use your favorite podcasting app with just one click at airlinesconfidential.com. Dan, our first listener question is from Joe in Tampa. And Joe, I just want to say that we appreciate all your very good questions. And we also appreciate your understanding that we can't get to all of them as we actually have a backlog of dozens of questions that we'd like to get to as many different listeners as we can. Joe observes that Virgin America used to have an in-flight entertainment system that allowed passengers to order and pay for food and drinks on the seat back. He asks, could some version of this be a good option for certain carriers post-COVID where passengers can pre-order food and drinks directly from the airline and have it prepared and ready for pickup at the gate or on board? Especially for carriers like Allegiant, Spirit, or Frontier that really don't cater the aircraft to begin with. Joe, this is a great question. And I agree with you that being able to pre-order food does make sense. It certainly makes sense for the airline. The challenge with it that I've found is that deciding to get something to eat while you're on a flight is almost always a sort of spontaneous thing. It's very easy for customers when they buy their ticket to think, oh, my flight's between 2 and 4.30. I'm going to have lunch beforehand. I'm not going to eat on board. But once you're sitting on the plane and you're sitting there and there's, you know, maybe there's IFE or not, but there's just not that much to do anyway. You're just sitting there. All of a sudden you get kind of hungry and you look at the thing in the seat back or on the screen or whatever and say that sandwich looks good or that snack looks good and then you want to order. So it doesn't really work for the bulk of what actually sells on the plane. You could do some sales this way, but invariably people are going to want to buy things because they decide at the moment that the plane is in the air that they want to eat something and you certainly want to have something for them. Now, you bring up another great point though, Joe, which is the system Virgin America used to have. Maybe that could be done on an app on the phone or something. And instead of having flight attendants move up and down with a cart, which some might see that as you know, overly risky behavior now, we never did before, but we're seeing lots of things different, right? 
Maybe you could just have an app that says, hey, I'd like this. And it dings the flight attendants and they bring you what you decided right then to have. So I think there's a great idea in what you say. I think the idea of everybody sort of pre-ordering their food in advance would be a nice thing, but wouldn't really solve the airline food problem. Chris, you've had to think about this. Am I overstating this somewhat? Or do you agree that airlines have to find a way to serve the sort of spontaneous need when it comes to food? Well, it's not so much serving food as much as is there a way to make money at it? And clearly, as the industry digs out from the current situation, if there's a potential revenue stream to tap, they're going to look at it. They should look at it. As you said, often the onboard purchase is somewhat spontaneous in that somebody thought they'd grab lunch at the airport and they were running late and they got to the gate and now they'll eat that sandwich on board they hadn't planned on or whatever it might be. So yeah, I really think it's what will work. Clearly, the uh, catering industry has been looking at this because, again, they need to build new revenue streams because their world's been turned upside down by COVID as well with a lot of onboard service cut back. So I think you're going to see more carriers experimenting with this. The timing, I think, is the big issue. You're right about that, Chris. Here's one for you. This is from Webb in Durham, North Carolina. Hi, Ben and Chris. I recently caught up on all the episodes of the podcast, and I'm loving it. Well, thank you for that, Chris. I did notice something that's not necessarily a whine, but more of a comment on Southwest contract of carriage. They frequently use pronouns, he, she, or him, her, throughout the document. I feel it would be a more inclusive and politically correct choice to change those options to they or them. I was just wondering, is there a specific reason why Southwest would not change the pronouns in their contract of carriage, or is it just something they may have overlooked? Thanks again for making the podcast so enjoyable. (laughs) So first off, Webb, I'm sorry your life has come to this, that you're uh, reading contracts of carriage for fun. Maybe (laughs) he's like finished all all the Netflix series he can and is looking for something else to do. Look, certainly Southwest is known for its dedication to diversity and inclusion, so I'm not sure I would read too much into what you found, but your question did prompt me to go and read a few carrier contracts of carriage myself. For the most part, references are gender neutral to, quote, the passenger. Every once in a while, there is some reference to sexual identity, like a passenger may hold a child two years or younger on, quote, his or her lap. And then I saw a couple of references in other documents to, quote, pregnant women or, quote, females who are pregnant. Now, I want to stress, I don't want to turn this podcast into a forum on the culture war and whether the reference to pregnant women or females should be more gender neutral, like, quote, pregnant persons or pregnant people. But as I was reading these, I guess I concluded that it's probably a good idea for airline HR legal teams to assign contracts of carriage and other like major public documents like this to summer interns or the new hires, just to give it a more recent review and make sure it accurately reflects the airline's policies and point of view on this. I think for the most part, what Webb called out was probably just uh, rather innocent on Southwest part. But as you read other contracts of carriage, these things kind of pop in and out in very subtle ways. I think you nailed that, Chris. And in the class that I teach, 
when we talk about the contract of carriage, I often refer to it as probably the least read contract on the planet compared to the number of people who should know what it says. <laughs> because because there are these, you know, when you buy a ticket, you you sign this contract by saying, I agree to the terms and conditions. And I print out, or I don't print out, I mean, I give my students like United's one semester, Delta's another, like the PDF of their contract of carriage. And the comments I always get is these things are huge. It's amazing all the things. <laughs> and, and, and so when I read Webb's comment, I thought, you know, I guess the people at the airline don't read it either. <laughs> but I agree with you. I, I think it's an oversight. And I like your idea of saying every airline should take someone in HR or legal and say, let's look through this and make sure it aligns with what our business looks like today. Yeah, it's one of those things that you always plan to get to, but never have time. And you just need to make time. That's right. Well, you're listening to Airlines Confidential. Finer Wine is next. But first, we want to thank Hotel Connections, the global leader in crew logistics and accommodations. Hotel Connections is a Fortune 1000 company that makes travel management easier and less expensive with their AI-powered booking applications, intelligent learning algorithms, customizable rules engines, analytics, and global negotiated rate programs. For travel, logistics, hotels, transport, and technology solutions, visit hotelconnections.com. Chris, I'm going to let you take this finer wine. It's from Dawn of Pinion Hills, California, regarding Hawaiian Airlines. Or maybe it's Pinon Hills? I'm not sure. <laughs> I needed to cancel my flight due to unforeseen circumstances. Apparently, my tickets were non-refundable. The total amount was just over $1,000, yet they needed to keep $100 of each ticket for a penalty charge. Apparently, the airlines needed my $300 more than I did. Our accommodations in Hawaii were canceled. They refunded our money in full. Other family members booked through another airline and their money was refunded in full. This is the first and last time I will book with Hawaiian Airlines. Don, uh, I'm sorry, but this is a wine uh, to use your word, quote, apparently. Apparently, whoever made this purchase didn't read the terms very closely. Airlines are required by U.S. regulation to be very clear in the fair rules. Uh, now, during this period of travel disruptions related to COVID, most carriers have either waived change fees or offered very liberal ticketing policies. And Hawaiian currently has no change fee policy in place for tickets purchased through March 31st. And I saw that back in September, they joined other major airlines in waiving the change fee rules. I can't tell from your email when you purchased your tickets and when the travel was for, but I think it's always worth another phone call to Hawaiian just to make sure that you're not entitled to a full refund or some credit for this ticket. But again, the responsibility is on the carrier to make the ticketing rules easily understood and then on the consumer to read them. So I got to put this in the wine column. You know, before COVID, Chris, when you read through customer complaints and listings of customer complaints, you'd always see things around non-refundability of tickets and baggage and tight seats and once in a while refunds and things like that. But since COVID, you know, eight out of every 10 complaint is about something that happened when the person wanted a refund and it didn't happen the way they wanted, or they got it in miles instead of dollars, or they didn't get it in all dollars, or they've got to use it again too quickly, or all kinds of things. So clearly the, the world where 
choosing when you can fly is tightened up, meaning people are booking closer to departure and airlines changing flights all the time and figuring out what's happening. It's creating a real mess in terms of, of the whole refund policy. And this was a particularly interesting one, I think, about the fact that they're arguing about sort of the the cancellation fee on a non-refundable ticket. So in that sense, I totally agree with you that it was kind of a whine. Yeah. And as we talked with Scott McCartney of the Wall Street Journal last week, and as you pointed out as well, Ben, I mean, refunds and refund related issues were clearly the top complaint uh, to the DOT and and by other metrics uh, in 2020. And, you know, again, there were a lot of people who thought that the the situation was beyond their control and the airlines needed to be much more understanding. Uh, eventually, most of the carriers seemed to get there, but it took a while. But um, again, you, you got to read the fine print. And in the case of airline tickets, it's usually not fine print. It's pretty obvious what the rules are. With that, we're going to close down with another edition of Airlines Confidential. But before we go, a shout out to Miami International Airport, which just finished moving about 1 billion flower stems over the last five plus weeks to meet all the Valentine's Day floral demands in the U.S. Miami receives 89% of all U.S. flower imports. So if you sent flowers, received flowers, or were cheapskates like Ben and I and picked up a bunch at Trader Joe's, thank you to our friends in Miami. That's a great shout out, Chris. Mine, once again, is going to be sort of big picture, although I really like the, the way you do these. And I want to thank the new Biden administration for letting sanity prevail when it comes to domestic testing for flights. That was clearly a politically charged and emotional issue. Everyone wants to stop the virus. Everyone wants to get this behind us. But coming up with ideas that are possible doesn't always mean those are the best things. And I think it's great for the industry. That combined with Anthony Fauci's note of maybe everyone can get their vaccine by April just leaves the week with a real positive tone around it. So shout out to the people in Washington actually thinking about all the employees and travelers of the industry. Until next week, I'm Chris Chimes. And I'm Ben Baldanza. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.